finish up the doctrines of Christ. So in the first service of the last, um, I think, three or four weeks, um, not consecutive, but three or four times that I was able to speak, uh, I was teaching, I am teaching through, finishing up teaching through doctrines of Christ. It's a systematic theology, and um, it's from Wayne Grudem's, um, I, I love his systematic theology book. Um, I actually, when my kids were younger, we would kind of go through some of these things together. So um, I am encouraged by his teaching, uh, and I think it's helpful for us to, um, as followers of Christ, to think through um, how we can uh, understand Scripture more and love God more. So today, we'll be finishing up that series, uh, specifically on two really meaty um, um, theological things, re- resurrection and ascension of Christ. Um, and I'll try to make it not so um, so theological or so weighty. Um, hopefully, it can be applicable to you. And the goal is, as we know more about who God is and what He's done for us, especially Jesus Christ, specifically Jesus Christ, we can praise Him more. So let's pray, and then uh, we'll get started. Father, we thank You so much for this opportunity that we have to come to You today and uh, the freedom that we have to do that, Lord. Um, there are um, places around the world, friends that we have that can't openly do what we're doing here today. Lord, help us to not take that for granted. Certainly that can be um, taken away in a moment. Um, but wherever uh, we serve and worship you, Lord, I, I pray that you would help us to to have clarity of, of thought and not to be um, confused or pulled away from the world's thinking, who is desperately trying to change the the foundational things from your word, Lord. I pray that you would help us to love you more and worship you because of it, for what we learned today. And we ask these things in Christ's name, amen. Uh, the, the last few weeks or the last uh, times that I was able to speak, kind of went through the, I went through the person of Christ and, and, and use scripture and other things to, to point the humanity of Christ. And I think that's important um, because God is, um, is obviously um, greater than us um, and maybe sometimes hard for us to relate. And I think that's why God sent His Son, Jesus, one of the reasons why He sent Jesus to, to be our intermediator. Uh, he had human, uh, um, human flesh like us. And with that, there were limitations. And that's hard to think. Like, God has no limits, but you, when you put it in a human body, there are limits, and those things are, he got tired, and he was sad, and he was hungry, um, and, and that is part of the human um, depravity, I guess you could say. Maybe not depravity, because Christ wasn't depraved, but uh, one of the uh, limitations of Christ. But then at the same time, God was, or Jesus was 100% God, and um, people of his time did not like the, the statement that Jesus made, and I'll read this um, towards the end of, of the message here, that Jesus said that he was God, and it, it made them want to kill him right then. Um, and they, some tried to pick up stones at the time and kill him, and that wasn't the time. And if you know the story of Jesus, his time was on the cross and to die on the cross. Um, and then uh, last week in the first service, I 
um, talk through the atonement of Christ and the reason and the necessity and the nature um, and specifically explaining those and how that's applicable to us, that Christ dying on the cross, this atonement, um, that, that Christ's death meant more than just Him dying for us, it, it gave us a relationship with God. Without Christ's death, there would be no relationship. Um, in the Old Testament, the part of the things that they had to do were to give sacrifices for their sins, and they had to do it on a regular basis. They would sacrifice lambs and goats and other things according to the, the time and the laws of that time, and it wasn't a permanent satisfaction to God. Um, it wasn't until Christ came, He lived a perfect life, and He died on the cross and rose again from the, the grave. That death was our atonement. It, it allowed us to have a relationship with Him. And um, I think it's an important doctrine that we should not overlook. It's a big word, and and um, don't be scared by those big words. They're important things for us to think through. Uh, today, we will be... Um, well, here's the definition. I um, didn't mean to leave that, but it's good. Uh, do I have the right one up? Okay. Scared me for a second. <laughs> Last week's sermon up. Um, uh, the atonement, Wayne Grimm says, the atonement is the work Christ did in His life and death to earn salvation. And I think that's important um, for, it's an important statement, it's a very concise statement, John Piper has a little bit longer one. But today we're going to talk about the ascension and the resurrection. You know, what's, was, what was Christ's resurrection body like? Did you ever think about that? Um, and was it significant for us? And then what happened after Christ ascended or went into heaven? And these are the, the things that we'll be talking through today. And here are the five points that I want to talk through specifically around resurrection. Obviously, everything we think through, any kind of theology, biblical theology, should be taken from truth. And the Bible is true. So if we don't believe in the Bible, then we're going to have a problem. Um, some people believe parts of the Bible, and they take away things and add things to it. Um, that's not good enough. Uh, scripture tells us in 2 Timothy that, that all Scripture is inspired or God-breathed, and that means that we should not add or take away to it. Um, it is meant for us to, to study and learn, so uh, theology, biblical theology should be taken from Scripture, and that's what we'll talk about in our first point, the New Testament evidence. We'll talk about the nature of Christ's resurrection and how the, both the Father and the Son participated in the resurrection, which is an interesting point. And then, of course, the in, importance and the significance of that resurrection and then how that is ethically significant for us today. So in the resurrection part, in the New Testament evidence, there's many scripture uh, over, <coughs> over, so through all of the New Testament, we can see uh, that is, um, we, if you read and pick up the New Testament, certainly pick up the Gospels, the Gospels are um, driven towards that. The, some are start in the birth and Matthew, the, the lineage of, of Jesus, um, and then goes right into Jesus, and some start a little bit later in his life, John, and, but they all end or uh, they point to Christ's death and his resurrection. Um, this passage in Matthew, the end of the book, uh, end of Matthew uh, is is clearly saying 
when his disciples and Mary and Magdalene, they ran to the tomb, and they, lo- they were looking for Jesus, and, um, and they thought something had happened, you know, what, what, somebody stole him or something like that, and thankfully there was an angel of the Lord, and the angel of the Lord told them that he's not here, that he's risen, just as he said, and it's, it's interesting to me that over and over again, the disciples of Jesus, his family and friends, Jesus told them that he was going to do exactly what he did. But when he died, I think it really took the wind out of their sails, if you will, and they forgot that Jesus was God and his purpose wasn't just to, um, to lay a new kingdom down, it was to, to, to die on the cross for us and then to be raised from the grave. So the, the gospels are clear and then... Um, the book of Acts has so much in it, speak, speaking specifically of Christ's resurrection. We can see other things in the epistles that talk about Christ being rose from the dead, and then, then Revelations, uh, the end of our Bible, uh, clearly says that Christ rose from the grave, and He's not in the grave like all other gods that lived before Him and live now. Uh, Christ was different than them. Secondly, uh, maybe the question is, it's, it's what's the nature of Christ's resurrection? It wasn't just that, that Jesus was raised from the grave. In that passage in John 11, um, probably one of the, the first passages of Scripture, John 11, 35, is, it's the shortest book in the Bible. I remember being in Sunday school class and our teacher said, we need you to memorize any passage in the scriptures, one, one verse, and I picked that one, right? Two words, Jesus wept. But that passage talks about Lazarus being raised from the grave. Uh, Lazarus uh, died, and then Jesus rose uh, or asked him to come alive, and he did. But then what happened? Lazarus died again. So that's not Jesus. Jesus didn't do what Lazarus did and others who've been raised from the grave. Jesus rose from the grave and never to die again. When sin entered into the world, through one man, that was Adam, death came upon all of us. There was no death in, in, uh, in the early in creation. God didn't create it that way. I mean, think about it. When, when Adam and Eve sinned, they took of that fruit that God told them not to do and I think about it all the time. I'm like, how hard was it? It was just one thing. They had everything, all the garden, all this stuff, but they just picked, God said, just don't eat this one thing. But isn't that like sin for us? There, we have so much good around us, and we, we have so many good things, and then the, it's the one thing that we can't have that we want the most. And that's exactly what happened to Adam and Eve. They were tempted, and they ate of that fruit, and because of that, death happened. God killed an animal to clothe them because they, they recognized that they were naked. And, and from that time on, there were many other uh, things that happened to them, but one of the things that happened was death. Jesus conquered death. He conquered death. He was different. He was different. He was born of a virgin. He never sinned. He was perfect in every way. So it wasn't that Jesus just rose from the dead. It was that Jesus died on the cross for us. His death meant something. 
And this is the new, uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, it's a new kind of fruit. It's, a, it's this first fruit. It's different because every person that's been born from the time that Adam and Eve had their first child until the last time that a man and woman have a child, that sin that Adam has passed on to them. But Jesus broke that, that chain, that, that, um, that way Paul says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as Adam all die, so in Christ will all be made alive. But each in turn, Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Paul is saying that the ones who, who have... Um, have turned their lives to Christ, they will not die. Now, does that mean they will not physically die? No, it doesn't mean that because many saints of old have died. It means that they will not be separated from God, eternity in hell, that they will spend eternity in heaven. And that's for anyone today that has placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We can participate in that because of Christ, not because of us, but because of Christ. The disciples recognized Jesus being raised from the grave. They didn't have to, Jesus didn't say, hey, it's me, it's me, it's me. They, they recognized it immediately. They, met, they recognized that this was the same one, the one that, that uh, the disciples were weeping about when he died, and now he was with them. And all of those passages of scriptures talk, talk about the disciples um, how that they met Jesus or other people that met Jesus and recognized him. So it wasn't just that Jesus said that I rose from the grave and no one saw him. That would have been uh, harder, but there were many people that saw him and Jesus, uh, his closest friends were one of those. Jesus had a, a physical body. So he had a physical body at birth, right? He, um, he was born of a baby and he grew and mature, and all of the things that, that humankind do as they get older. And then his body was killed, but then he rose again. He, he wasn't a ghost when he rose from the grave. He had a physical body. He, had, he, had, he didn't have a spirit. And we know that because he, he ate and he drank with others. And there's passages in Scripture where you can see people like Thomas putting his hands through Jesus' hands and feet where he was uh, crucified and nailed on the cross. Um, in Luke, he appeared to them on the road and traveled with them and he ate with them. And then also in Luke, Jesus broiled, ate broiled fish, again, demonstrating that he was not a spirit, but he had a body. And that's important to recognize. That's the importance of him coming back. I mentioned in the start of it that, that um, both the Father and the Son participated in the resurrection. So we have two passages of Scripture that say one or the other. The first one in Acts is, but God, God raised him from the dead. And then in John, it says, Jesus says, I lay my life down only to take it up again. So is that a contradiction? Well, it would be if we didn't believe that Jesus was God. If God and Jesus are the same, God saying it and Jesus saying it's the same thing. 
I don't have a good analogy. Um, maybe it's a, a poor analogy, but if you've had kids and maybe you've told your child to go tell your other children to do something on behalf of yourself, um, they represent that, um, you know, what I asked them to do. I, I don't know if that's a good analogy, but all I know is God and Jesus are the same. They're, they are uh, the same. God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are one. And when God says he did it, and Jesus says he did it, then we have to believe that it, they both participated in, in Jesus being raised from the dead. There is no contradiction there. Jesus participated in his, we just read that, participated in his own resurrection. So God and Jesus both participated. Doctrinal, doctrinal significance of the resurrection. What's the significance of that? Specifically, how does that apply to us? First, I think it does is it ensures our regeneration. Um, Peter says in 1 Peter, um, he, he gave us a new birth into living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter connects Jesus's resurrection with our new birth, regeneration, same thing, new birth. Peter is saying that because of Christ being raised from the dead, we can have life. It's because of Christ. And that is an important thing for us to recognize. It also is important because it ensures our justification. Justification can be defined as being declared right in God's eyes. When we are sin, when we are sinful before salvation and even after, we have this sin debt. And it's great. If we're honest with ourselves, we recognize that we are um, messed up people. Uh, as much as we try to do good, um, we still fail. And God demands perfection. He didn't say, do your best, and then uh, maybe the good's going to outweigh your bad. As long as the good, you do more good than bad, then you can have a relationship with me. No. He demands a perfect, in order for God, because God is just, God is righteous, in order for us to have a relationship with Him, we had to be perfect. Well, how could that happen? Because we sin. It's not going to happen. It's because of Jesus' death on the cross, he paid for our sins, which is great. He canceled our debts. So we have this debt in the millions or billions of sins, whatever it works out to be when we die. But not only that is he credits his right, Christ's righteousness on us so that when we are seen by God, God sees Christ's death on the cross. He doesn't see Jason's good or bad, he sees Christ's good. And that's justification, being defined and declared right in God's eye. And that's the only way that we can have a relationship with God. Without Christ's death on the cross, there would be no justification. Third is, uh, we'll receive a perfect body just like Christ. And I know um, for some, that's that's I mean, that's what we're hoping for. I don't want this same body in heaven. We're going to have a perfect body with no ailments, no pains, no struggles, no diabetes, no 
can't walk, no, uh, whatever it might be, cancer that kills, will have a perfect body. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he says, we also will raise up with Jesus and present us with you to himself. Be raised up with him. We'll have that. This is for the, the saints, the ones who call upon the name of Christ. Fifthly, there's ethical significance of the resurrections, and that is that we need to be obedient to God in this life. John preached on Deuteronomy, and he talked about love and how love and obedience kind of go together. And specifically when it talks about loving God, there's an obedience factor, and sometimes you can get caught up and we can get caught up. Obedience feels like it's, an, it's, it's something we act on. But God, God created us to love, and it's an obedient thing. Christ came, died on this cross, and He rose from the grave, and God wants us to be obedient like His Son. 1 Corinthians, again, Paul says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Paul is saying, God is saying through Paul, to be obedient to God. Isn't it great that we have heavenly rewards? There isn't, the fact that Christ died for us, he, he canceled our debt, and then He credited us, and then now He gives us rewards is an amazing thing, something we don't deserve. I think often of that example in, in Matthew where there is a, um, a man that owes um, so much money to the king, and the man pleads with this king and he forgives his debt. And it was a great debt, a, great, a debt that he could never pay in his entire lifetime. I don't know how much debt it was, but it was an, a crazy amount. But then what happens, this man's servant had a small amount and asked and pleaded the same way, but he did not forgive him. And when the king found out, he made this man, the one that was forgiven great, to be tortured and eventually killed for his disobedience. God has given us so much, and we need to be reminded of that. We need to be obedient, but then also we need to be reminded that there's heavenly reward for us. Colossians, we read, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. When Christ who is your life, appears, then you also appear with Him in glory. That is our heavenly reward. That is something that we should focus on. And I think it's something we don't do enough. We need to stop giving in to sin. Because of the cross, because of Jesus' death on that cross, and His resurrection... As followers of Christ, we are not in bondage to sin anymore. What does that mean? Well, that means that when we are faced with sin's temptation, we don't have to sin. Does that mean that that we're going to be perfect? No. It means that we choose to sin like different than before salvation. Before salvation, we, uh, when we're faced with sin, our master is Satan, so that's all we do is sin. And, and you say, well, what about the people that do good that are unbelievers? 
they still are not being obedient to God. God says the greatest command is to love God with all your heart and with all your mind. And then what he says, love your neighbors as yourself. People get one of the two wrong. They either don't love God or love others, or they don't love, they, maybe they say they love God and don't love others. They can't have, you have to do both. First John talks about that. <clears throat> Paul says that we're dead to sin and not to let sin reign in us anymore. We need to stop sinning. And this is a lifelong journey, and it won't be complete until we die, when we will be made 100% perfect. We will be like Christ, never to sin again in heaven. I hope that you look forward to that day. So those are the five points of resurrection, the resurrection. We see all that the New Testament gives clear evidence, and there's many more I could go through. Um, but I, I encourage you, if you have questions about that, to just to study the New Testament and read it with an open heart, an open mind. We saw the, the nature of His resurrection, how the, both the Father and the Son participated in the resurrection. And then we saw the doctrinal significance of the resurrection, how we are justified in Christ. And then finally, the, we just talked about the ethical significance of the resurrection and, and how that we're no longer in bondage to sin. I think that's important for us. We'll close with the ascension into heaven. And these four points. Um, so Christ died on the cross. He rose from the grave. That's the resurrection. And now we, see, we will see Him ascending or going back into heaven. Christ, I think the first point I want, not the I think, but the first point I want us to, to think through is that Christ ascended to a place. He ascended to a place. In Acts 1, Christ came back to the earth. He lived for 40 days. I remember I read those passages in where Jesus ate with the disciples and his family and friends. He was here for 40 days. He appeared to them over 40 days, Acts says. So, that's important because we're going to be talking about um, a few other things as he ascends or goes back to heaven. Christ led his followers to Bethany where he ascended into heaven. And Jesus, I'll just read this passage in Luke. It says, when he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem in great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple praising God. This passage in Scripture, Luke is, is, is recording for us how Jesus was with them, and then he ascended into heaven. He didn't, didn't just disappear. That's important. Part of Christ's ascension is that he led, uh, he showed us that he, he clearly went to a place. He didn't just disappear. He gradually ascended or, or went into to heaven. Paul says in Acts, after he had said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sights. And I was, can just imagine, um, you know, it's probably a lot easier to imagine now because we've got so much movies and technology that blur our thinking in that way, but back in those days, uh, I'm sure that that 
had never been seen before, person that they were eating with and talking with, and all of a sudden he just started to be raised up so far into the clouds that he disappeared and they never saw him again. I love, I love this um, part in Acts where we see after Jesus went into heaven, um, the angel of the Lord said, Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you have seen him go, go into heaven. And, and I can imagine um, the feelings the, that the disciples had. You know, not just a few days ago, 40-some days ago, they, they, were, they were brutally hurt that their friend was murdered in this undeserving way on the cross. And they were rocked by that. They forgot what Jesus was here for. And then all of a sudden, He was with them. He was raised again, and they probably felt that great joy again that they once had when they were with Christ, even greater now because the things that He said He did, now He did, and then they're with them, and they started being content. You know, 40 days is a long time, and they probably think Jesus is going to be here for a while, and then He ascends into heaven, and they're like, what is going on here? And I could just imagine them just waiting for him to come back. And, and finally, the angel of the Lord says, hey, what are you guys looking at? <laughs> Jesus left, and he will come back in the same way someday, but it won't be today. And it wasn't for them, and it's not for us, at least for today. But we're reminded that Jesus went into a place. He didn't disappear. And then... Somewhere above is where heaven is. I don't know where that is. Christ went up uh, into the clouds. Uh, I don't think that heaven is in our world. It may be in our universe. I don't know. Um, I have no idea. We have yet to discover the vastness of our universe. Uh, It is just magnificently big. Um, And it the more that we discover, the more we recognize how big our universe is and, how, and hopefully how small we are. But the point is that, that I'm trying to make is that, that heaven isn't here on earth. Some people say that. And, and uh, maybe you would never say that, but there are some people that say, this is the best life we've got. And unfortunately, if that's what you do, if that's how you live, then I am sad for you because the afterlife will be worse. But for those who put their trust and faith in Jesus Christ, afterlife for us will be greater. It's something we can't even imagine. It will be in a place for us to, um, to worship God for all of eternity. And I can't even fully imagine uh, even how awesome that's going to be and amazing that will be. But the point I'm trying to make is that heaven isn't here on earth. It's somewhere that's above. So Christ ascended to a place, and now second, Christ received glory and honor. When Jesus ascended into heaven, he received glory and honor and authority that had never been this way before. The one who was with God in the, in the God-man. Before Jesus died, he, he prayed this prayer in John 17. He says, and now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory 
I had with you before the world began. Before Christ came to this earth, Jesus had great fellowship with his Father, and there was glory there, and there was authority and power. And then Adam sinned, and that authority and power had to be reconciled, and that was through the death of his son, Jesus, on a cross. And Jesus knew when he prayed this, that when he died, that he would now have again that authority that he once had. I'm not saying that God lost control. He didn't lose control. But there was sin that was reigning. And remember how that mankind had this bondage and, and mankind before Christ had to, had to continually sacrifice. But when Christ came, there was no need for a sacrifice because he was the perfect sacrifice. Peter says that Jesus was highly exalted. And this is at Pentecost. Peter, Peter said he was highly exalted. So he received glory and honor. He was exalted because of his ascension. Jesus was taken up into glory, 1 Timothy 3.16, not to be confused with 2 Timothy 3.16, which we quote all the time. But 1 Timothy 3.16 is just is, is an important passage. I read verse 14. It says, although I hope to come to you soon, and this is Paul talking to Timothy, I am writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is in the church of the living God, the pillar of the foundation of the truth. Beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. He, appeals in the, he appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by the angels, was preached among the nations, was believed in the world, and was taken up into glory. So all of those things that we talked about, Jesus came to this earth, He died, He rose, that's all in that six, verse 16. He rose again, He, he fellowshiped, he, he taught people, and then lastly, he was, he was taken up into glory. The angels are singing praises to Him. Uh, so Christ died and Christ being raised. It's the completion of what His, his task was. When God, what God asked His Son to come to this earth, it was a process. He had to be born and live those 33 years in life and then die on the cross and live here for 40 days after He rose from the dead and then He went back into heaven. That was the completion of what Christ needed to do. In Revelation 5, we see John recording for this. It says, Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering of thousands upon thousands and ten thousands times ten thousands. They encircled the throne and their living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. That Lamb was Jesus Christ. The angels praised Him. Thirdly, Christ is seated at God's right hand. Wayne Grudem says, one specific aspect of Christ's ascension into heaven and receiving of honor was the fact that he sat down at the right hand of God. This is sometimes called the secession at God's right hand. When Christ ascended or he went into heaven, he received this fulfillment of that promise. He sat down at the right hand of his father. It's a prominent position. In the Old Testament, the psalmist writes, uh, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool to your feet. This was in reference to Jesus. 
what Jesus did. Old Testament predicted it. Jesus received authority over the universe. In, in uh, Ephesians uh, verse 21 specifically, it says, Far above all rules and authority, powers and dominions, and every name that is involved, not only is the present age, but also the one to come. Christ is sitting at God's right hand. He indicates this authority over the universe. It's a power possess, uh, um, uh, statement. Christ has the authority to pour out the Holy Spirit on the church. And it, this, is, this is important. It's, it's, it's a different working of the Holy Spirit after Christ's death at the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit uh, was still around in the Old Testament, but it's a different working in the New Testament. And, and Paul says in verse 33, he says, Exalted to the right hand, Jesus, he has received from the Father the promise Holy, promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. That is an important thing. It's another aspect that Christ has the authority. He has this authority to, to pour out the Holy Spirit on the church. So maybe the question you have is, does this mean that he's, he's fixed or he's, he's just always sitting there uh, next to Jesus? It doesn't mean that. <laughs> Um, there's passages where uh, in Scripture where you can read in Revelations, and this one I highlighted here in Acts, says, look, he said, I see heaven open to the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So it's not, it's not this, um, don't picture Jesus always just sitting on His throne, just being served by people. I, I believe that Jesus is still actively uh, out there doing things in heaven, and, and he's still God. He's, has a, he, has a, he has 100% flesh, but he also is 100% God. Um, he, it's, it's more of a, um, a, a, a metaphorical thing when Christ is seated at the right hand of God, um, something for us to, to think through. Um, fourthly, uh, Christ's ascension or going into heaven is important for ours, us in our lives. And that's what we need to know, right? What, so I'm saying all these things, and I'll, I'll, have, I'll close with a slide asking some questions, but the point is Christ going into heaven is a picture for us in the future. And it's important for us in how we live now. It's important for us to be reminded that one day we will spend eternity with Christ. And it's something for us to look forward to. First Thessalonians, uh, I'll start in verse 17. It says, after that, who, uh, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we'll be with the Lord forever. This is talking about the second coming of Christ. This is what the disciples were looking for. They were looking for it at that time in their lives. It never happened. But Christ will come back one day. And we'll be taken up to Him with, with Him in heaven. It also gives us assurance that there's a home for us because of passages like this. Jesus says, my, you probably know this one. Everybody quotes this one. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that? I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back to take, take with you to be with me that you also may be where I am. We always want to focus on uh, those, 
those many rooms, I think some translations say mansions. Um, and there will be uh, great beauty, and, but I think the point is for us as followers of Christ, our faith will become seen when we see Jesus. The faith that we have now, it's a hope, right? It's a good hope. It's, it's, a, it's a true hope. But, you know, faith is believing in something that we haven't seen. And um, when we get to see Jesus, that will be the day. It, it will be more important than those many rooms. But the fact that Jesus is saying what He's saying, it gives us that assurance that there will be a place for us in heaven. will not just exist like some religions say, or will not be reincarnated as, as a watch or whatever. We're, we're going to be in heaven with Christ, and we'll, we'll have each one of us will have different roles and responsibilities. Remember, um, just a side trail, Adam, before sin, did work. Um, one of the things he did was had to name all the animals, and that was probably a very lengthy process. Um, there just there weren't um, weeds, and there weren't there wasn't sin, and laziness, and all the other things that happen when we when we don't work. So I believe that there will be work in heaven. We will enjoy it. I don't know what that will be. Um, Jay is hoping that he can garden. Well, maybe uh, I don't know what you'd be gardening because you don't have to pick any weeds. But um, maybe he'll be planting and and cutting roses and flowers and stuff. And I, I don't know. That's what he's hoping for. I don't know what is there. Uh, we won't know really until we get in heaven. But the point is, Jesus said that we'll have, uh, that he is going to prepare a place, and he did for us, for the ones who follow Christ. Also, it proves that Jesus is what he says he was. And this is where I'll close. Um, I love, I just love this statement. It's such a bold, I've read this a couple times in this doctrine of Christ, the uh, teaching, um, and I've read it, obviously, other places too, but I just love, Jesus was being pressed, and people were saying, the Pharisees and the people that wanted Him to fail and hated what He said, they, they were, He was pressing Him, asking Him, like, who are you to answer these things? What are you telling us what to do? And Jesus said, very truly, I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am. And that was a direct statement from what God said to Moses. He said, I am. Moses said, who should, you, who should I tell the people of Israel, uh, of Israel that sent me? God said, I am. It's pretty cool. Like, he didn't say, well, God didn't tell him, Moses, well, I'm the one that created you. I'm the one that sustained you. I'm the one that gives you food. He just said, I am. Very simple and concise. And Jesus knew that by, by what he said, by that statement saying that I am, am, that it would ruffle a lot of feathers. And you can see if you read the next verse, it says, at this time, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple ground. Jesus said he is God, and he proved it. He proved it because he rose from the grave. He proved it because he ascended into heaven. All of those things proved before time People had looked to this person. They didn't know who it was. Even when they saw Jesus, they still didn't recognize it until God removed the blinders for, for some. And then they saw, this is the Messiah. This is the one that we were hoping for. 
Jesus proved that he was God. So we talked about all these things, talked about his resurrection, ascension into heaven. What does that mean for me today? How can we live differently knowing all of these things? And maybe all of these things you already know. So it's like, oh, yeah, I already know all that stuff. Great. And I'm talking to ones who claim the name of Christ, who have turned their hearts and repented to Him. I'm asking you the question, how does the thought of our resurrection body make you feel? Think about the current weaknesses and limitations that we have. Whether you think you're in the best of health, whatever that might be, I know that you know that there's something better. And I hope that one day that you think about that future, not just think about now. At salvation, when God saved us, when we were once a master to the old master, which was Satan, and at that moment, salvation is an instantaneous thing. When God removed the blinders and we were able to see the truth and we repented and turned to Him, that we had new life. How should that encourage us to be faithful in the way that we live our lives? In Ephesians 2, 6, we read that we're not, we are now seated with Christ. That should change us and help us and want us to be more faithful in this warfare, this battle that we have here on earth. And when we focus on Christ being in heaven and that we'll be with Him one day, does it make these things on earth seem to fade away? That's the goal. Does it, does it mean that you should be like the monk and move into a mountain and live in a room full of nothing and just eat and just try to get this zen? No, it doesn't mean that. Life is still important. God has us here for a reason. Everybody has a reason. Number one, that number one reason is for us to worship God. Number two, it's to love our neighbors. How do you love your neighbor? Who is your neighbor? Your neighbor is, if you're married, your spouse. If you have kids, it's your kids. If it's if you live in a, an apartment with somebody, it's that person. If you live in a house or an apartment, it's the one next to you. If you work with people, it's them. We need, as Christians, as followers of Christ, to be reminded that we're not here to serve ourselves. We're here to serve others and love others. And that is acted out in many different ways. Read Scripture, find out what Christ did. That's how you know. That's how you know. If you're not a follower of Christ, maybe this is like, uh, this is great, and you're like, okay, that sounds really cool. Um, salvation is a free gift. There's nothing, nothing, nothing that you have to do to attain salvation. Nothing. You don't have to get better stop smoking, stop drinking, stop having bad thoughts, stop, have, stop being angry, and then clean yourself up and come to God. God doesn't want you to do that. He wants you to come as you are and to bend the knee and turn to Him. 
put your faith and trust in Jesus, that He is the one who can save you. He's the one who died on the cross. He died on the cross for our sins. Believe that He did that for you. Repent, turn towards Him and and ask God to forgive you of your sins and live a life that's worthy to be called Christ follower or Christian. That's what it takes. It's that simple, but it's really that hard. For many, they will dance around that that opportunity, that gift. They'll go in and out and they'll do good things and they'll feel better about themselves and then they'll go right back to the way that they are. Being a Christian is a radical thing. It's a radical change in your life. And if it's not, then I would say, maybe you need to question, like, are you truly a follower of Christ? I'm not saying that you're going to be perfect. I'm not saying everything's going to be good. I'm not saying all your sin's going to go away. But if your desires are not on things that we just talked about, things that Jesus placed here, did for us, and things that He wants for us, then, then maybe you need to question, are you really a follower of Christ? I'm not trying to make you doubt your salvation. I'm not. I'm trying to make you assured of it. And there is no other assurance except for what Christ has done. Christ, you know, it's interesting when I think about other religions, especially um, Islam, the people, they do all these amazing things, and some things are really radical to try to appeal to a God who they hope one day will let them in heaven. They hope. Because to them, their God is a fickle God. And He may let them in or may not. That's not the God of our Bible. That's not the God who made the world and the universe. God is a God who is loving, overwhelmingly loving. We don't have to do anything except repent. Turn to Him and repent. Christ did all the work for us. Does that mean that uh, once we are saved, uh, it's kind of like some people have used the example of they bought this plane ticket and they're in a plane and then they're heading the way to heaven. You don't have to do anything. That's not Christianity. Remember that there is obedience to love and Christ not only showed us that, but He also demands it. As a follower of Christ, we need to be obedient. I hope that you are. I hope that you are encouraged today um, and hope that you are uh, be reminded of who God is and how great He is. Let's close in prayer and then we'll sing. Uh, I can't remember the song. Oh, Lord, my rock. Great song. Oh, Lord, my rock, my redeemer. Father, we thank